so tomorrow, um, there are a few of us who will be sitting in front of uh, folks who are seeking district license from the uh, Oklahoma District Church of the Nazarene and also ordination, ordination orders from the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm on the other side of that desk, and so I get to ask really hard questions of these wide-eyed participants. And one of the questions I'm going to ask is this one, what is holiness? And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you happen to be in the room and you're going to be in my room, here's the answer. It better have something to do with Christ-likeness. I mean, don't tell me. When I ask you what holiness is, don't say, well, that's when I'm scrubbed clean and I never sin. If you, when I ask you about holiness, if you don't say something about Christ-likeness, we're going to send you to Mid-America. I don't know. Somewhere like that. We're going to send you... Let's edit that out. <laughs> Christ-likeness is the goal, not just of Lent, hello, but of your entire Christian life. Christ-likeness is the goal. The season of Lent has in mind that you would be put through the ringer of sorts so that at the end you might look more, sound more, be more like Christ and all God's people said. I'm telling you. And so your Lenten observances should help you think through and think about what it's going to take for you to be more Christ-like toward the end of March than you are right now. I don't know if you've thought about it yet. Some of you wait until Wednesday night. Sometimes you wait until this service right here to talk about or to think about what's, what your uh, Lenten observances are going to be. And, and I've actually thought a lot about it. Do I want to do the same kinds of things I've done in, in the past? And, and I guess one day as I was studying for this sermon, I didn't realize I was praying. But God said to me, I don't really care whether or not you give up soda or fried food or whatever it is that you, what you like to give up each year and call the Lenten fast, what I'm really interested in is your being more Christ-like at the end of this season than you are right now. So whatever you choose, make sure it's something that can help you, help you to be more Christ-like toward the end of March when the season of Lent erupts into the season of Easter. Because that's what we're about we're about confessing this difference all the time, certainly, but most certainly during this season of Lent, we're so intentional about the words that we use, the texts that I'm going to preach and how I'm going to preach them. We're uber intentional during this season to say, look, we've got issues. By the way, we all have issues. <laughs> and the hope here is that this will be a safe place for us to work on our issues together. So that by the end, each of us and all of us are more the body of Christ than we were before. So uh, I was introduced to a movie a while back called The Mission. In fact, it was while I was uh, on Dr. Green's staff and he showed us this movie. I want to give you a little bit of background before we play this clip. And this clip is going to explain to you what we're trying to do during this season of Lent. But here's the background information. What you have in this, uh, this uh, movie is you have this guy, uh, Rodrigo Mendoza. And I know that is a very young and thin Robert De Niro, but it is Rodrigo Mendoza right now. Rodrigo Mendoza was a soldier for hire and a slave trader. 
a little bit more about Rodrigo Mendoza. Uh, he, he liked to go and, and perform these, this is a true story, by the way, uh, kidnapping raids on the South American coast, and he would pick up these folks, typically from the Guarani tribe, kidnap them, and then sell them into slavery. One time he came back from one of these trips, and his fiance said, I'm sorry, I can't marry you, I can't marry you. I'm in love with your brother. And what's worse is, Mendoza found his fiance in bed with his brother, and he killed him. He killed him. Now, I guess it was considered a crime of passion because the governor of that little area said, oh, you know what, you, we're, you're not going to be punished for this, except that Mendoza, having now lost his brother and his fiance, and so much more, was just heartbroken. Heartbroken spiraling out of control, and he went to his friend, a, a guy by the name of Father Gabriel, this guy right here, played by Jeremy Irons, and he said, what can I do to recover my soul? What can I do to make amends? Is there anything that I can do to try to walk back toward Christ's likeness? Is there anything I can do? Well, it just turns out that Father Gabriel was himself a missionary to the people, the very same people that Mendoza was trying to abduct and sell into slavery. So Father Gabriel said to him, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to help me. I'd like for you to help me to evangelize the Guarani people. But here's what you should do and what you could do. Package up your armor, your weapons. Package up all of your stuff that kind of makes you you. Bind it up into a large pack Sling that pack over your shoulder and drag it with you as we go all the way to where the Guarani are, as we have to scale the mountain and come across these rivers and go across the fields. Drag it all with you. Drag your deathly weight behind you. This is how you will do your penance. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, Father Gabriel was asking Mendoza, to accompany him all the way back to the place where the Gwawani lived. They were going to recognize him as the man who had abducted men, women, and children, torn apart homes, sold these people into slavery, never to be heard from or seen again. They were going to recognize him, and we're going to pick up the story here. We're going to pick up the story here when just after Mendoza, who has just climbed this mountain, nearly fell off this mountain because of this huge, heavy pack. He's come across the river, and now he's finally at the top where the people live, and sure enough, they do recognize him.
stunning portrayals of grace I've ever seen. And what it does, it actually tells us, gives us some graphic portrayal of what it is that we're trying to do in the season of Lent. We are trying to cut away that which serves only as dead weight in the hopes that once freed from all of that, we are then free to be all that God dreams for us to be as a people, but also as individuals. Finally freed from all of that dead weight. And by the way, let's make sure that we understand that dead weight was not just the consequences of Mendoza's sin. It was also all of the weaponry. It was the means of his sin. You know, I think that's a problem for us. I think it's a problem for us all year round and not just the season of Lent. I think sometimes we think that a lot of the things that we do, a lot of the, the rituals that we undertake, a lot of our religious movements are meant to somehow manage the consequences of our sin, maybe in some sense even manage our sin, maybe even manage God. Because maybe, maybe, you're one of these people who says, well, because of my line of work, I have to live, really, a kind of a sinful, I have to do it. It's, it's, I get paid to do it. I have to live this less than Christ-like life. But I'm going to church. And I'm putting something in the offering plate. And I'm doing that and this, that, and the other. And I'm, and I'm taking communion, so maybe I can kind of manage God's anger with me. I can kind of manage God's, God's sense of justice or fairness. I can manage my supernatural consequences, my eternal consequences, by participating like I am right now. See, if I'll just do this, then God is somehow obligated to do this. In other words, there are a lot of folks who feel like ritual, religiosity, is the way that we get God to work for us. And so really, as you undertake your religiosity, as you undertake your, your religious rituals, sometimes all we're really doing is trying to manage the consequences of not being Christ-like enough. But Mendoza, Mendoza and having that dead weight cut away is not just dealing with the eternal ramifications of his sin. He's changed. Folks, we aren't the people who believe that we just are going to be who we are going to be. We aren't the people who believe that we're just sort of innately evil and can't do anything about it, so we have to do the sacrificing so that God can somehow change God's posture toward us. Hear, hear it again. You heard it last Sunday. Now hear it tonight, Wednesday night. God's posture toward you is not going to change. 
so you can. See, that's a different way of thinking, right? Because there are some folks who might believe that, man, we're just hopelessly sinful. We're going to sin every day. We're going to be those people who are hopelessly sinful. We're just sort of condemned to our humanity. I mean, this stuff is just so human. Hopefully we can do something to keep God off of our eternal backs. No. Again, God's mind about you is made up and will not change. And since it can't change, since it won't change, you can change. You are not hopelessly addicted. You are not hopelessly sinful. You are not hopelessly evil. Beyond that, these rituals are not at all meant to somehow manage God. They are meant to change you and your orientation. So our Lenten series is entitled Dead Weight, Dead Weight. And just looking at it, you can tell what we're trying to do. We are trying to get to that point where we can finally separate ourselves from the dead weight the death and the deathliness that seems to chase us around. We're trying to finally be separated from it so that we can lean into God, into the, uh, we can lean into being the kinds of people that God dreams for us to be. We are made in God's image after all. After all. And our rituals help us to do all of this, except when they don't. <laughs> and when they don't, it's typically because we're not thinking about it correctly even as we are participating in some of these rituals. Here's, here's what I mean. So the prophet Isaiah is speaking to a group of people who probably didn't rate, who probably weren't important enough to be hauled off into Babylonian captivity. They were probably the dregs of their society, left there, but as people who were left there, they were still Israelites, and so they still tried to worship somehow. They tried to worship somehow, uh, but here's the thing. This was sort of the theme, the tone of their worship. God, we're doing this so that you will do other for us. Because we're doing this, God, you have to do this other for us. And so the prophet screams for God at these people. <laughs> God says through the prophet, shout out, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. Day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then the people, he's mocking the people here as they say, why do we fast but you don't see? Why do we humble ourselves but you do not notice? God, I am doing this every week. I am taking communion every week. I even go by and dip my fingers in that thing every once in a while. God, Sooner or later, you got to hold up your end of the bargain. God, I'm doing the best I can. You need to do your part, God. Yeah, these people don't get it. <laughs> they, they don't understand. I guess they still believe that somehow the practice of faith, their practice of faith, the way that they worship in quotes, the way that they worship is somehow meant to manipulate God into doing the things that they want God to do. But what if worship and the rituals are meant 
to so separate you from your sin that you are then free, free to be the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. Here at the outset of Lent, let, let me tell this. Let me say this to you. God dreams to change you into the likeness of his son. Now hear, hear that again. God wants to, aches to, is ready to change you into the likeness of Christ. To recover, to recover that image. You were created in God's image. It is on you, it's in you. It has been marred, but God seeks to recover all of that. So again, you walk around looking like someone who was made in God's image. God wants to do that. God wants to change you. If you are a sinful person, God wants to change that about you and me. Uh, this is not going to be a giant group therapy session, but I will tell you that God's pointed out what it is about me that needs to change. <laughs> I dislike Christians too much. And God has said to me, listen, this whole message of inclusivity and grace that lights you up and makes your heart pound, it extends to those people too. You didn't have to say amen, that one person who did. So God looks at these people, these, these leftovers, these leftovers in and around Jerusalem, and he said to them, you're giving up things. It's great. You're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to posture yourselves as religious people, but here's what I'd really like for you to do. Here's what I'd like for you to do as you think about your fast. Here's what I'd like to, for you to give up. Why don't you loose the bonds of injustice? Why don't you undo the thongs of the yoke? Why don't you let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? I mean, if you need to give up your chocolate, you just, you just go ahead and do that. If you need to give up fried foods, you need to go ahead and do that, particularly if it can help you to remember that the more important work you need to be doing has to do with reclaiming territory, advancing the kingdom, has to do with issues of justice and injustice. It has to do with relationality. It has to do with open friendship for the sake of the world. Listen, if you flawlessly give up chocolate for the entirety of Lent and are still a terrible neighbor, you have not done it right. But if you try to give up chocolate, you don't do very well, but you work so hard to be hospitable to your neighbor who won't vote like you, you've done well. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? I don't know why that makes me laugh every time. I'm sorry that it does. It just does. In other words, the people of Israel were not the tangible, touchable expression of God. 
They were not the tangible, touchable expression of God. The outside world was supposed to be able to look at Israel, organized as they were or were supposed to be by the Ten Commandments, by the law. They were supposed to be organized so that people could know what God was like by looking at them. But they weren't. You know why? They did not love people the way God wanted them to love people. And so their empty rituals to try to get God off their backs was never working because what God wanted was their hearts. Now, here's the thing. If God is actually able to separate us from our sins, if by virtue of being involved in these rituals, God is able to separate us from our sins, if God is in fact able to free us to be the people of God, that's when things start to change within us and around us. And here's what it could look like. At that point, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. We are called to the breaches in the wall and to the fractured streets. But too many of us are more concerned about our resumes before God. Too many of us, rather than getting all the way to the breaches in the walls and the fractured streets, we're, we're too concerned about whether or not we've actually secured our places in eternity. It is a self-focused faith that results in others Blindness. Blindness to the plight of the other. I, I like this. The danger of worship concerned only with one's own salvation is not its immorality or its lack of authenticity, but its blindness. It's blindness. Keep in mind, the priest and the Levite were able to march past the Samaritan, march past the person in need while the good Samaritan was the one who actually saw him and who exercised faith in helping him. Folks, if you are choosing purity over relationality, you're not doing it right. If you are choosing isolation from the dirty other, over opportunities, if you're prioritizing all of that over opportunities to be the people who restore the streets and repair the breach, I guess that's something, but it's not Christianity. And so Lent. It's a very good book by a very smart guy by the name of James K.A. Smith. And he says this, part of the reason we don't worship well, part of the reason our liturgies don't reach all the way to who we are is because we're so involved in other liturgies. And we're going to talk more about this throughout Lent. But the one that's most famous, I think, is the one that he calls the theology of the shopping mall, <laughs> where people walk into the shopping mall and they see the icons on the windows that tell you what you're supposed to look like. These are the people toward whom you should aspire. You should aspire to look like all of these people. And you walk in and an acolyte takes you by the hand and says, I can help you find what you need. And then that same acolyte helps you to fold it up, package it all up. That acolyte leads you over to the altar where you make your sacrifice. 
And then you walk out, having participated in the religion of commodification and consumerism, and you're shaped. James K.A. Smith will say something like this. We are being liturgized by all sorts of religions outside of this place. That's what makes these rituals and these liturgies so incredibly important so that we can push against and work against all the different ways that we are shaped by those liturgies out there so that we can maintain some hope of being the people of God right here and now, even when we go back to the mall. But in order to be those people who can be sufficiently shaped by these rituals, maybe we do have to look at one another and say, hang on a second, we're broken. Not only that, broken and in need of God's grace, the only means of recovery that there is. And so, we have an Ash Wednesday service. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you're going anywhere after this. I don't know if you're going to go out to eat. I don't know if you're going to go to the shopping uh, mall. I don't know if you're going to go to the grocery store. I don't know where you're going to go. Maybe you have to go get gas. But I do wonder whether or not you're going to wipe that smudge off your forehead. And if you do, I wonder why you will. Well, I don't want anybody to see it. See what? The evidence that you know and we know that you're broken? Yes, as you're, if you're a Christian, please hide that at all costs. <laughs> please make sure that the outside world does not know that Christians are actually broken people in need of grace. Maybe, maybe we need this. We talked about it, talked to Dr. Tashin about it today. We're not going to do drive-through ashing. I've seen some reports of that around the city and around the nation. But maybe we do need an early morning service so that we can live all day testifying to our need of grace and not just in here. And maybe if we can ever testify to our need of grace, maybe that's when we'll finally get it, the grace. Not because God's withholding it, but because you won't take it. God's not withholding grace from you. You just won't take it. And so we rehearse each week like this. Open your hands and take this grace. Tonight, we're going to add to it. Be marked as someone in need of this grace and then receive it. And so in a moment, here's what's going to happen. And this is on that sheet of paper. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And this is a little bit different. I want everybody to come to the center aisle because as you come down, I want you to come down always with an eye toward this cross, which again is evidence that we have damaged this God by our sinfulness. But it's also evidence the grace of God extended to us. So everyone will come to the center and then slowly but surely make your way to the front. And as you get to the front, Aaron and Brittany will be here and here with ash, a symbol, a sign of mourning, a sign for us that we have accepted this fact that we are broken and in need of grace. And they will place this ash on your head. And then again, you have a decision to make. There'll be four of us at these altars right here. One here, one here, here and here. 
And we are all going to be ready to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you and offer a healing prayer, each of us will be armed with oil and we can do that. But if you don't want to pray or after you pray, then keep walking that way or this way to receive the extension of grace in the form of the broken body and the shed blood. If you're coming to help us, would you go ahead and come this way? This is not an easy ritual, but it is an important one. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, all of them. Bless these elements, God, and use them to show us the truth, yes, about ourselves and how far, far, far short we fall of Christ's likeness, but God, show us also the truth about your grace. Show us how it is that you would like to move us and shape us as a people and as individuals. Usher us to the place of our deepest and greatest, darkest sins in order that we might find grace even there. It was on the night that was betrayed that our Savior took bread, broke it, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time you eat it, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Again, I want to remind you what we're going to do is all file to the center. All file to the center. Come forward and face this cross if you dare. Receive the mark of guilt. Your acknowledgement that we have a ways to go, but we're willing to go. And after that, find a place to pray and receive the bread and the cup. After that, you are welcome to go. But I know some of the songs on this list, and they're really good. So if you'd like to just sit and soak in this presence, you're certainly welcome. So it begins, church. All across the sanctuary now, if you'll stand and move to the center aisle to come forward to receive the mark guilt. Then find a place to pray and then receive the gifts of the table.
Savior, I come, quiet my soul.